0: Welcome to Episode 5 of The Reading Cure. In this episode, we'll be discussing the book, What is Normal, edited by Ros Carroll and Jane Ryan. Welcome to The Reading Cure. Bibliotherapy Podcast, where we discuss some of the life-changing insights that great books have to offer. I'm Dr. Stephen Davis, and my co-host is Dr. Alexander Fox. So let me begin with a quote from this week's book. Some people find normality comforting, others constraining, mostly both. Do norms provide necessary guidelines to make social life workable and meaningful, or mostly serve the powerful, providing legitimacy for their self-serving purposes? Do norms ensure a modicum of reason and protection from otherwise irrational and even destructive human nature, or squeeze the vitality and authenticity out of bodies and communities? These profound questions are posed by Stephen Seligman, a professor of psychiatry and one of the contributors to this week's book, which is entitled, What is Normal? Psychotherapists explore the question. This compilation, edited by Ros Carroll and Jane Ryan, is an eclectic collection of responses to the core issue of normality by a diverse range of individuals connected to the field of mental health. With input from psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, academics and even poets, the contributors to this thought-provoking book offer insights that derive from both their professional and personal lives. Most are sceptical about the notion of normality and some share personal experiences of oppression and exclusion that have resulted from being perceived as abnormal in some sense. So this is a rich and at times moving compilation and one that invariably forces the reader to reflect on some of the unconscious beliefs and attitudes they may hold about what it really means to be normal. Now before we begin our discussion I just wanted to make you all aware that you can keep up to date with news about upcoming episodes as well as other content that we produce such as short videos by following us on our social media channels our twitter handle is at cure reading that's with a capital c and capital r facebook.com forward slash cure reading will find our facebook page and we also have a youtube channel with all of our episodes and some other content on there Lastly, for anyone interested in supporting the podcast, you can find links to our Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee pages at our website, thereadingcure.com. Okay, so I, I think the first thing we were going to talk about tonight, Alec, was the the issue of being normal. Um, there's a nice quote from the the editors of this this book. Um, uh, Rose Carroll and Jane Ryan, which is that the idea of normality is fraught for many people because they believe they're failing to meet the prescribed standards. So I was curious, first of all, to get your take on why, why do you think it is that people find the issue of being normal such a compelling one?
1: Yeah, well, one of the the, the th- things I'd like to start with is that, you know, this notion of normality, there, there's two different senses of it in, in the main. You've got descriptive normality which is what most people are doing you know so it might be 70 percent of people between 18 18 and 35 have netflix i mean that that's just giving yep. you an idea of what most people do that's descriptive normality and then you've got this notion of prescriptive normality which is what people should be doing. That's what most people should be doing. And I think this is the kind of normality that we are talking about here is prescriptive normality. So yeah, for me I think it is the case that many clients are asking themselves, sometimes consciously, a lot of the time unconsciously, am I normal? Are, are the things that I'm suffering from uh, you know, an indication that I'm not normal. So it is a yep. concern. On people's minds and I think probably the fundamental reason why it's a concern is uh, if we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs that um, one of the key ones is belonging being part Mm -hmm. of a community so if, if that is one of our key needs you can see why human beings are very sensitized to the notion of normality because they're frightened that if they're too different different in in a, a negative sense, you know, being weird. I mean, that's a, a word that young people often use in their sessions, you know, that would be weird or am I weird for thinking this or feeling this? And weird would be obviously to be positioned out with the community to, to be not normal and not belonging in any kind of favored way. So for me anyway, I think that's the main reason or one of the main reasons why people are concerned about normality, because it's about belonging, ultimately.
0: I th- yeah, I think that I think you're spot on there, Alec. I think, I mean, it's interesting you you mentioned, you know, terms like weird. You know, most words that we can think of, like odd, or you know, anything that's a you know a kind of synonym for. Basically, not fitting the norm has a very negative kind of connotation yes. to it, and and as you say, the idea that, that these labels could be could be put on people, particularly younger people, as you said, um, this is very unnerving to them. Um, it's interesting, actually. You mentioned you know Maslow and and the need for a connection, because th- this this got me thinking actually a little bit about the the kind of evolutionary biology mm-hmm. view of, of this. You know, we 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 are these evolved to be these social creatures who, of course, have survived in the ancient past in tribes Mm -hmm. and you know it's like our our kind of alarm systems are super sensitive to to rejection in that way rejection from whatever we see our group our tribe is being um and and as you said obviously that this means we have to have this concern with how other people judge us whether we're seen as as weird or strange in any way and and a kind of immediate emotional kind of compelling uh, requirement to try and to deal with that or, or or seem more normal in some way. So yes, um,
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean yeah. I think that's a very good point to, to situate in terms of our evolutionary history. Um I mean if we look at the notion of paranoia, for example, paranoia is the you know, to be worried about some eventuality happening that is something that is dire for the person, practically unlivable. So if you're paranoid about something you have this fear that you could suffer this terrible fate now given that we are wired to be scrutinizing the environment to see how we're doing how much we're belonging because you know to to be put on the outskirts would mean originally death yeah it's hard not to be paranoid about how much we belong, it's hard not to be paranoid about our normality, because, and, as you say, you know our evolutionary past uh, you, you, you know conditions us to be paranoid about our normality.
0: Uh, absolutely. And of course, um, you know, with again, thinking about the evolutionary viewpoint, that's no more relevant than for particularly for younger people. You know, they, they would have been at that critical point in life of having mm-hmm. to essentially earn their place within the tribe yes. or face rejection if they couldn't find themselves to be useful or, or acceptable, fitting in and so on. And of course, that literally would have in many cases meant death. You know, there was no... Yes prospect really for surviving without that so it's like there's something kicks in in the puberty years isn't there where the you know we have this hard wiring to be particularly concerned at that at, during those kind of crit- critical years uh, maybe puberty to kind of I don't know I mean it obviously can extend way beyond the mid-twenties but there is a particular period of sensitivity to issues of our, our normality and our kind of social standing I think isn't there? That's, well that,
1: there that, is you know. yeah I mean you see that with teenagers that they're, they're tasked with trying to resolve some thing that is very difficult to pull off that they want to belong just like anyone else but they're also tasked with trying to form their own individual identity so identity becomes such a big issue for teenagers and that's one of the reasons why they're so worried about normality too because it's like they're asking on some level um can I develop who I am? Can I form my own identity without being an outcast, without it becoming an issue regarding my belonging? You know, because to become an individual and belong are somewhat intention, or they can be in tension with each other. And teenagers are, are, are tasked with trying to resolve that. And it's difficult because uh, they don't know too much about life. Uh, So it's a bit difficult to resolve that. That's why they're often so pained about, uh, you know, on the one hand, worrying whether they belong and on the other hand, worrying if they've got enough of an identity as well.
0: That's a great point. I mean, I think this is it, isn't it? Not the issue of normality. We have to kind of factor this into the the various other things that we're we're trying to do in the kind of social yeah. sphere. But I mean, of course, I think I think it, you you mentioned uh, the idea of paranoia before. Mm. Um, this is important here, isn't it? Because obviously. You know our reactions to say situations where we maybe have a momentary sense of being seen as abnormal. You know that this is a kind of alarm overreaction that we have here. Yeah. Um, I wonder. You know, would you say that then that we are in a sense overestimating the importance of of this issue of normality here? Just just perpetually, we're in a state of almost caring too much about it, even though, understandably we do have to care somewhat about it and particularly are wired to it a certain age. Are we overemphasizing it, do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you could argue that our, our obsession with normality is to some extent, a sign of our own egocentricity, you know, the notion that we're, we're so important to everyone else that they are scrutinizing every act, every word every gesture that we make Uh, people that feel very self-conscious about these things are unfortunately overrating their own importance to other people and there's been quite a lot of psychological experiments that have shown that people aren't really so focused on what others are doing uh, as as what you might think but particularly young people they they feel that they're, they're very important to themselves naturally but they then sort of project that out and generalise and think that others are paying attention uh, to them as much as they think. And that's one of the reasons why normality plagues them or the the notion or trying to be normal plagues them so much yeah. because they feel that they're being... Heavily scrutinised.
0: It's a good point. I suppose one way that somebody who maybe is suffering from those kind of thoughts could could slightly console themselves is that well, firstly they could they could consider you know do they judge others. In such a you know super sensitive you know scrutinising way um, all the time you know that such that they might you know virtually want to reject somebody on the basis of some kind of mm. abnormal element they see and of course most people would say no that's not the case and and, and another no. consolation people could maybe give themselves could be the idea that even if a if a friend you know or acquaintance noticed something a little bit odd or abnormal would that really lead the person if they were a good friend to want to reject them you know that does seem like an awfully extreme response and again probably not in most cases you know or in terms of if we're talking about you know a reasonably good friend Mm, or a mm. good person you know so it does seem like as you suggested there you know there is a there's something a little bit skewed in in the in the person's kind of worldview going on if they are terribly you know, fixated on this issue. You know, like like they 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 would seem to be awfully um, maybe exaggerating the degree to which you know other people are tuning into them all moments. You know, as if there are just cameras on them all the time, just looking at their their every little gesture. You yes. know, it's really it's not quite like that, I guess. So um, no, and yeah. I think
1: I think this is if if you were a CBT therapist, for example, you would probably put an obsession with normality under the cognitive distortion of personalizing. So seeing events is revolving around you, unnecessarily so. So it is a kind of sign of um, a narcissism, which is to be expected at that stage. Narcissistic in the, in the sense of uh, everything has a direct personal relevance to to oneself. And, you know, in terms of ego development psychology, there is the expectation that people grow out of that to some extent uh, as they get older. But young people would be particularly sensitized to that. Um, I think there is a thing, if if we don't see it so much in terms of, uh, you know, stages of life, that is a, a big factor in, in this issue regarding normality. And that's you know, that we have this superego or inner critic, mm-hmm. or, as they say Lacanian's uh psychoanalysis, the big other. I mean, this is something that was mentioned in quite a few of the essays on yes. normality, the big other. Yep. And what this big other is, is, is it's not any tangible entity, and yet it is this um, other person, in a sense, that we've got to please and appease. You know, it is... It is, you know, a container of society's norms and expectations which we have to live up to. And our, the more toxic our inner critic is, the more it takes the form of this imperious big other that we've got to please. And and the prob- one of the problems with that is that we can project that out onto other people. So other people can then seem as though they are personifications of our... You know, inner critic or big other, as well. Yep. So that's another reason why normality is so compelling as a construct. Because being normal is one of the ways to, or trying to be normal is one of the ways to appease that big other or that inner critic. And so yeah, that's like, a, that's a great explanation
0: there. Actually, you know, in terms of you know that as we were just discussing, you know, the the the, the you know the clear irrationality of of. You know overestimating the degree yeah. to which we think we're being scrutinized but as you say we're scrutinizing ourselves really aren't we we're projecting yes. out this this very very severe punitive superego that many of us unfortunately have and and some cases don't even don't realise it and we're we're thinking that this level of of harsh judgment and rejection is coming from the outside when we're we're actually the ones that are putting it out there. Um, yes. Which yeah. Yeah. No, it's that's really interesting. I, I, I mean another, I suppose another issue actually, again, um, you know, that perhaps maybe more relevant to those at a younger age group, but but not exclusively, would be that actually to take a strategic a view of the issue of your, your belonging needs and trying to enhance those. Um, an, an excessive concern with normality, of course, would lead somebody to to try excessively really to blend into the crowd and just yes. kind of follow conventional tastes, which, which would, of course, make that person potentially less original and maybe less interesting, actually. So, uh, you know, obviously, if somebody can take maybe a less extreme, a less, um, I guess you could say, neurotic uh, view of normality and how normal they are, they might actually open up the space to develop more, you know, original, idiosyncratic interests, particular tastes that maybe maybe fall out with what is particularly fashionable or within the mainstream at that time. But of course, in terms of their development as a person and their their, their social appeal, might actually be quite a positive uh, enhancement for them. I,
1: I would I would say. Uh, well, yes, yeah, I think that's a good point because. When we talk about individuality, it's hard not to invoke the notion of uh, idiosyncrasy, to some extent, because it is about being different to uh, something generic. So if we were over-concerned about normality, then there is a real danger that we develop this banal self this generic self. Yeah. Yep. And um and then we could blend too much into the crowd that we become invisible in a way. We don't really have uh you know any real any great substance to our personality and, you know, perhaps even little um moral integrity. I mean this is something that yeah. Heidegger talked about, the, the notion of the they, the group, and okay. that, that people could get lost in that group. Uh, he thought that there was a number of existential experiences that that uh, ensured, if they were embraced to some extent, that we would become individuals. So things like guilt. Guilt is a way of uh, separating out from the crowd because no one else can feel your guilt. Also, your mortality as well is a way of singling yourself out from the group and developing an individual self but the problem is that these experiences are uh, painful and yeah, so indeed. in some, in a lot of people it actually makes them flee into the crowd and get lost in the crowd as a way of um, avoiding certain existential tasks as an individual.
0: That's a great point I mean I, I guess there's a trade-off here really isn't there between the kind of you know the short-term I guess ego, you know, self. You could say that's that's having this, you know, desire to, yeah, yeah As you maybe avoid pain, feel comfortable, feel socially integrated, and then you know the the long term, deeper, more authentic part of the self, which really actually needs time and space to to develop interest, to overcome particular emotional um, issues. You know, as you said, even to the point of confronting really difficult things like yes. our mortality. All all of that um, can't be done if we're just exclusively. Following the mainstream trends, you know, we're we're spending our time watching the TV shows that everybody else is watching, or whatever it may be. You know that that's you know that's not going to give that that real space for, as you said, the kind of individuation. Um, well, which no, is,
1: no. You know. I mean exactly. So conformity is not the same as authenticity. I mean, conformity can be achieved by just conforming by going with the crowd. Yeah. But authenticity. You could you could authentically embrace a value of the crowd, but you have to have an individual identity to own that value. Well, really, yeah, it's got to be developed. So in, authenticity is not the same as conformity. Obviously, we've seen in the case of capitalism that that it, that it can trick people into thinking if they buy certain things that they've then got an authentic identity, whereas they're just conforming.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, this is this is the problem, isn't it? A kind of a, you know, consumerism. And you know, will provide us many outlets to supposedly express this individuality. But of course, yeah. If it's just purchasing different shadings of of particular brands, then there's nothing terribly individual about that. The moral dimension, which you touched on, I think is kind of interesting as well, though, because obviously, um, you know, sometimes behaviour that is conventional, normal, isn't isn't necessarily, of course, moral behaviour. Um, it's interesting if you th- you know to think about the you know people like say Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King. You know, they, these guys can't have been terribly concerned with social norms. You know, in the no. lives that they led, and of course, had they been, you know, that would have been a very very uh, tragic situation for many people and um, so yeah. I, I I wonder you know that, that one of the issues that, that to me kept c- kind of coming out of this book as I read is that you know the, the various contributors were constantly challenging social norms you know and um, for, for an array of reasons one of which being you know from a moral perspective that you know what about those that are almost De facto, othered and and you know mm. rejected by you know mainstream norms due to some particular minority characteristic. Um, so yeah, there, there was a there was a sense I got from the book that you know. The, a real suspiciousness about social norms so i guess that my, my second question really for you alec would be you know are they actually desirable at all should are, are social norms something that we should just literally have done with and just be individuals or do you see some value um in retaining social norms at least to some degree what, what, what do you think
1: yeah well i think what i could say with conviction right off the bat would be that and this is as you say something that came up in a c after a c in that excellent collection is that uh is that so you know mainstream social norms are problematic mm-hmm. and the reason for that is that they they often are connected to ideology and and so almost inevitably they serve dominant power interests. So that is one of the reasons why mainstream social norms are problematic, is that they're not necessarily there to benefit uh, everyone, to say the least. And there usually is some othering uh, involved there. Uh, As to whether social norms per se are always problematic, um, that's a more complicated, Issue. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about a society um, that didn't have any social norms. I mean, social norms are a way of ordering our ex- our expectations and giving us an idea of um, how we should treat each other. And you you could also say that some moral rules or guidelines are forms of norms too. And I and I think it would be a mistake to give up them. Yes. You know, so, so yep. you know, like a norm of um, that people should be treated equally unless there's special cases, it's, you know, unless there's uh, exceptional circumstances. I mean, that is a social norm. Uh, to give that up would be, I think, quite a bad thing to do. So um, if you believe in an objective morality, then there's probably going to be some social norms that come from that. Uh, up to a point, Uh, to not have them at all, uh, I don't know how you would structure a society without any social norms. That's yeah, what I'm I mean, thinking
0: here. But. I completely agree with you. I think, I mean, for example, anybody who works in any kind of organisation, you know, if they were to reflect on their average day, you know, they, yeah. they would see, you know, rightly or wrongly, that they, they would be conforming to all kinds of norms in terms of how they speak, how they dress, how they, you know, what they yeah. do and don't say and so on. You know, there would be a, an incredible amount of norm um, shaping would be going on. And uh, yeah, one of the contributors, for example, I quite liked uh, the, the essay by Anne Shearer. She, she talked about right angles and she says, you know, we all need right angles to which to refer if our inner and outer structures are to hold. And yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the idea, as you say, there are moral social norms for how we treat each other. And, all you know, there are definitely, I'm, I'm not sure we can do without these. So I think that, I mean, I was I was proposing that question as a bit of a radical alternative. But, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I do agree with you. I think that, you know, there's a sort of stability and predictability to everyday life that comes from norms many of which are desirable some of which are not um so obviously you know but being able to take for granted at least m- many of the typical ways that we're let people are likely to respond to us when we do certain things obviously gives us that ability to navigate the social world so yeah i, I guess a norm-free world exclusively probably isn't something that's possible so
1: no i, I mean i i think norms yeah. are necessary uh, morally speaking because for one thing, it ensures that we we treat each other with fairness, with respect. Yep. I mean, these are, I think, basic norms. But where it gets where it becomes a problem is when you have what you could call totalizing norms. So, yes, exactly. in other words, this is the one way to be. And in narrative therapy, they talk about this in, in terms of uh, dominant narratives. So a society can have, you know, a few, two or three, maybe even less dominant narratives that basically say this is the way everyone should (laughs) be. That's why they're totalizing because they're not really looking for exceptions. So in this society, there is this expectation that we should be consuming as much as we can, that we should be making as much money as we can. That's one of the dominant narratives. It might be the dominant narrative and it's totalizing because obviously it leaves out many people that don't fit that uh, due to circumstance and thankfully inclination as well. Yep. Um, So I think when we talk about norms, we want to avoid the totalizing variety. And I think this is one of the reasons why there has been progress because we have, you know, um, different sectors of society like LGBT uh, people with their norms and that they have uh, as much a right to have their norms as uh, say the straight group as well Uh, you know that that ensures there's no heteronormativity or it's one way of combating it I should say because there's still overall a tendency to that. I mean heteronormativity is quite a a telling phrase because it's bringing in the notion of the normal, that being straight is normal in that prescriptive sense. And, you know, yeah. we're working Which, against that totalizing narrative now.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, just on that specific issue, I thought it was in one of the articles, um it was by Meg John Ryan called Normal Sex. You know, she said that <clears throat> recent surveys show that actually 40% of younger people now would. Not place themselves in the 100% heterosexual or homosexual category, you know, which is interesting actually in a way, and of course links back to some of Freud's ideas yeah. about the actual the fluidity, the non-binary nature of sexuality. So mm-hmm. in a way, the you know that's a good instance actually that maybe the sort of the the kind of LGBT um, communities have highlighted is that you know the the norm that was existing there was actually very far away from objective reality in terms of the issue of sexuality you know but yeah it was obviously imposed so so stringently for for such a long time well it um, was
1: i mean you had the the research uh, undertaken by Kinsey in the 40s 30s or 40s in America that showed uh, proved Freud's intuitions to be correct about the how fluid sexuality was. But for ideological reasons, it took a long time for society in general to catch up uh, with yeah. that. You know, our prescriptive norms were not matching our sexual reality there. And that, that was because the dominant narrative was, uh, was still encouraging us as a society to see ourselves in a certain way, even if our sexual life was rather different. Um, Yeah, I mean, Yeah,
0: I mean, in a way, you know, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? When you, you know, there were obviously there were various articles about the issue of kink sexual practices and the increasing acceptance of these. You know, you think back to how these kind of practices would be labelled as deviant, you know, and yet domestic violence was not, you know, um, you know that form of violence, you know, in that much more, um, you know, sadistic, harmful way. Was was normal to at least some degree, you know. For for in, in the past, it wasn't something, for example, that police would get involved in. You know, a no. particular domestic, it would just be left alone. And you know, of course, a lot of it involved, you know, uh, abuse against women. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, that was just you know within the the broader ideology, as you suggested, that that just was was the way it was. I guess um, I, I I like the point that you 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 were making just previously. I think yeah, I think you, that is that's it with norms, isn't it? The, the idea that they make this kind of claim to unity you know which yes. which is you know the tendency i suppose of all, of all of us who maybe feel part of a particular group to just kind of assume this is the right way of doing things but of course that inevitably encounters others you know and and, and that's the question isn't it how do we then respond to encountering people who don't conform to our particular norms you know and obviously um you know as we become more, hopefully you know, aware of of, of psychology and, and mental health, and just more morally aware as well. That's something that will be more, I guess, tolerant towards. You know, and will be will be increasingly, um, you know, accepting of difference, and not necessarily so quick. You know, to 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 jump to the the negative labels of the past. You know, the yes. the weird and the odd yeah. and so on. Well, um, I think
1: what we what we're well exactly, and I think what we're seeing now is. A redefinition of normality, that to be different is to be normal, mm-hmm, and yeah. in, in, in a variety of ways. And that's actually true, isn't it? That, that thankfully human beings can't just be uh, assigned to one category, and, and, and that that's just it. That there is individual differences, and for us to lead as fulfilling a life as we can, we have to, to see difference as normal, and, and to embrace that. And we're getting to the point now, thankfully, where difference is normal and it isn't isn't to be discounted in this very pejorative, harmful way as deviant as it was in the past.
0: I think that's a, that's a, that's an excellent point, isn't it? Yeah, the 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 word normal. I mean, of course, yeah. The what what it means to be normal is not is not anything fixed. And, and in fact, as you said, maybe we've we've entered an era where normal now does have this much more. Um, acceptance of diversity is you know that's a normal way for somebody to think now and of course yeah. not everyone does but you know that's that's the norm now and that yeah that's obviously a very positive development of course
1: well it um, is and 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 i think how we define normal is very very important here i mean um the cultural critic neil postman i like him a lot and <laughs> in one of his books he spoke uh, about what he called definition tyranny and what he meant by this is that we just accept someone's definition of a given phenomenon. Uh, he said this was very common, that people freeze when they're, they're confronted with a conventional definition of something. He says, you know, what we should do is ask, well, who's defining it this way? What purposes does it serve? Does this definition actually serve me? Yeah. And and I think that... Um, when it comes to normality, you can see that there's a, there's a real pressure by, uh, you know, the mainstream powerful groups to define it in a certain way that we should just simply accept. And if we do that, then we capitulate to their idea of normality, which could end up, um, you, you know, having very injurious consequences for us if we don't fit it, really. They, that, that's the thing, the powerful often have the power to define
0: well, indeed. I mean, this is it, isn't it? It's, it's hard to, to differentiate issues of, you know, normality from issues of, I guess, social status, you know, achievement within a particular social hierarchy. And of course, we know that's not a level playing field from the outset, you know. Mm. So, so maybe one way that people can, um, you know, regain a little bit of of autonomy in that kind of environment as you said is to think more about the definitions and actually yeah challenge those definitions that are being being imposed you know in an ideological sense that that simply isn't you know is to the advantage of somebody else who's already in a more comfortable position perhaps
1: yes Um, we have we have to look at it somewhat skeptically you know and see or ask at least is—is is this something that actually oppresses me? This definition of normality. Yeah. Yep. It might serve one group, but does it actually oppress myself? And that I should not accept that definition.
0: Yeah. I, I. Absolutely. I. I mean. I. And I guess you know more broadly when people are engaging in some you know activity that's you know or or have some interest that's you know. Atypical, it's less normal, it's deviant in some way. You know, maybe it's good. I mean, I, I was just thinking there, it was reminding me of the uh, Durkheim, you know, the, the famous sociologist mm. who had, you know, viewed these, you know, society, this social system as inevitably this oppressive system to some degree it has to be because it organizes things along particular roles but he he had a nice quote that was something like um deviance anticipates the morality of the future you know mm, we, we have yeah. to encourage people you know to accept a certain amount i guess of 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 deviance and difference in themselves because actually they might be onto something that society hasn't quite caught up on yet you know that maybe uh, maybe it will you know 10 20 yes. years then like yeah.
1: perhaps you know they're, well they're... exactly i like that quote and i think it shows how um, the people that are labelled as deviant, uh, there's an attempt to silence them. So I suppose what we're talking about here is how normality, the notion of normality, could be used to silence people. Um, yeah, they are a indeed. bit like they are not worth listening to because they are different in this bad way. Who would want to be them? Don't pay attention to them. Instead, follow what uh, you know we prescribe, what we think is right. So, yeah. yes, I think that's the thing, the deviant, the so-called deviant is just a way of trying to silence uh, people that have been harmed by a system or people that actually even want to improve a system too.
0: Well, exactly. So, well, yeah, I mean, what certainly, you know, this is a... I'm not a therapist, of course, but this, you know, this is a tough issue. I can imagine, you know, when you're you're trying to navigate all of these various complex factors, you know, and I think that comes through very nicely in this volume, all the different aspects to the issue of normality. It's so complex, you know. It's quite a difficult one really. You know all of all of this is in the background when when somebody comes and and you know tells you that they they feel they're not normal and they don't like it and they want to be fixed, you know. Yes. Um there's there's a lot of factors to to juggle there, I guess. Well, there, there um,
1: is and and um there is always the possibility that um the client in your room in your consulting room sees sees the points that you're making, could see in ways in which the society at large is a problem, is actually much more the problem than anything going on internally. And yet when they leave that room and rejoin that society, they might lose that sense of um, of what you were telling them, you know, yeah. what you were helping them with. Um, yes. because, because, you know, that, that desire to fit in is so strong that it can override, even some of our nascent convictions.
0: One issue that came up in a number of essays was the idea. So, for example, Christopher Clulo, um had mm-hmm. a nice quote, which was that however much we want to blend in with the group, very few of us want to be average. And you know, the word average is obviously a synonym of normal. But mm-hmm. you know, if you asked if you ask somebody, particularly in this these modern times, do you what, Would you like to be average? Um, very few people would actually, of course, assent to that. Um, you know, despite it essentially being another way of stating, do you want to be normal? But obviously, average you know, evokes a kind of sense of dullness, mediocreness, um whereas that's really not what people want to be or even feel compelled that they need to be in this day and age. So I guess the question I want to ask was, do we actually all really want to be normal? And if not, what do you think it is that we really want?
1: Well, I think we want a couple of things. We want to belong, mm-hmm. but simultaneously we also want to be recognised and to have self-esteem. Which, which can, you know, in certain cases, catapult us into wanting to be very special as well. So it, it's sort of like both things could be desired, to belong, to be normal, but also to be distinctive in a very good way. Yes. Um, so, you know, exceptionality is like, you know, is, is a sort of um, valued oddness in a way you know it's to be exceptional is to be different from the crowd in some ways but to still be valued whereas being weird is obviously not to be part of the crowd but in a negative way um so i think what you find with people is a, a need to be normal to belong but also a desire sometimes just as intense sometimes even more so to be distinctive to stand out uh, what you do see is uh, as a pattern is that if somebody struggles to uh, belong, is alienated in some way, then the the corresponding desire to stand out can become more intense. Mm, yeah. Uh, so you can see um, sometimes if someone finds or believes that they're barred from being normal in some sense, then they think that well. You know, I'm going to be seen by the crowd as another, so I better be this valued other, which is to be special. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, <clears> and so yeah, I, that- I, I, so in answer to the question, I don't think that we do want to be entirely normal, and we're in this delicate balancing act of uh, trying to be important and stand out while also being integrated, <laughs> too.
0: Yeah, I mean it's quite a it's quite a binding way. I completely agree because I think yeah, as you say we don't we want what we don't want is abnormality, you know, that's dangerous, no. that's that's you know, outcast sort of sense. But on the other hand we want to stand out in, in these distinctly socially validated ways. Um, so it's yeah. like we want kind of the reassurance of our place is, is is here, but if we can then um we can excel, of course that's appealing. And yeah, I think that is a great point you make about the idea that those that that, that maybe do feel that they are already being left Left out, they're being judged as abnormal. This this tendency towards, I mean, I guess, fantasizing or you know, really desiring specialness, a sort of supreme triumph in some way, can really actually start to fester and become quite a kind of pathological. Um, tendency i mean for i mean it's a grim example but obviously in a lot of cases these you know young young people particularly in the united states who've who've gone on shooting sprees Mm. and things you know very often it's been the same kind of pattern that individual has been socially isolated you know but has been you know festering with these kind of fantasies of Mm. of revenge and or triumph and you know just standing out just being known in some way and that's led to this you know these horrific outcomes so yeah i think i think that's an interesting point yes Um,
1: yeah i mean the the are ways to stand out without it being destructive like that i mean i'm thinking about david bowie for example he was somebody that was much loved for standing out and for for embracing his own idiosyncrasies and eccentricities you know people loved him for that because he did it through the medium of music and these various roles that he took on over the course of his career um, so Bowie was able to achieve that that uh, socially validated otherness, which actually large numbers of people could then, you know, embrace and some even have felt they could identify with too.
0: Yeah, I mean, but he—he's—he's he's a great example, isn't he? I mean, he obviously made the idea of being eccentric and—and and, you know, quite you know, and really challenging actually the norms in ter- terms of dress and yes, behavior, lifestyle, time, and so yeah. on of the day. But yeah, he used it in such a kind of positive way, you know, that would obviously bring in joy to people um, with his music. Um, well, yes,
1: I think if we compare, and this probably doesn't happen very often, but if we compare David Bowie. Um, to say the per- you know the guy that uh, dressed up as the Joker and shot people yeah, at, yeah. at a cinema. I mean, what yeah. we see um, with Bowie is obviously this this creativity, um, this articulation of what uh, people were really feeling, and actually helping us to to feel more together in a way, paradoxically. Whereas that that sort of act of shooting people was just entirely destructive, obviously. Um, yeah. But it's it, it was, um, yeah, I mean, I think what we see with Bowie is more, uh, um, much more creative, life-affirming <laughs> embracing of difference, really. And it wasn't yeah. a vaunting of himself over others in the way that uh, the shooter was, really. Um,
0: No, I mean, I I guess, I mean, again, I suppose if we're thinking about, you know, the sort of, you know, the the Maslow perspective, which you touched on before in terms of our connection needs and our self-esteem needs, you know, obviously somebody terminally lacking in self-esteem, you know, and attempting to compensate for this using more kind of narcissistic ego boosting strategies could be, you know, destructive in the extreme but yeah obviously somebody like Bowie was obviously you know there were higher needs being fulfilled in a way that was both yeah. boosting his sense of being special you know feelings of being you know both successful and and unique, but also you know there was the creativity alongside it, as you said. The, yes, and, and you know the, the the giving something, you know the, the, the higher needs were also activated there, you know, which is obviously such a critical difference, you know. Even 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 again, there is the tension remains between the normality on the one hand, the fitting in and the authenticity and the you know the self esteem on the other, but at least that tension is is taking a more yeah a, a socially um, useful. Uh, shape to put well, it well. Really I think it was. I Bowie. think
1: in, in the case of Bowie, what we see is a, a loving of his difference. You know, the, yeah. it wasn't. He was not coming from a self hating position, unlike that that shooter who hated his difference, yeah. and that's why he acted in the way that he did. But but with Bowie, he loved his difference, and he was also like a spokesperson for people that felt different, and his music was for them. And, and so it was motivated more by connecting and communicating with others. So there was more love, much more love involved in it.
0: Yeah, I guess he's a great example, I suppose, of somebody who, you know, cared enough about normality amongst other things insofar as, as you say, obviously he connected with people, you know, he, he, he got on with people, he, you know, but not... You know, not to a degree that was remotely stifling to his creativity. You know, so in no. terms of norms that that would affect things like his dress and his style of music and other things, they were not norms he was interested in. You know, and 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 good, you know, to for for the good there. Um, well, so-
1: yes, yeah. I mean, you know, we he was communicating ultimately. He was reaching out, yeah, through his music, and he was also articulating the the pain and the joy of being different. And I think that's why. A lot of people loved him a lot. Yeah. Um, there and uh, yeah, and he was also trying to help them triumph over the shame of being different. So, say for example, in that song, we you know, heroes. You know, the shame. You know, when they were kissing at the wall, the shame is on the other side, as he said. You know, yeah. this is him. Uh, you know, helping people that felt different to triumph. At least for a day, as he would say. Yeah. Over the shame.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's a g- great point. I guess it, you know it's true art therapy, musical therapy. Yes. There actually, in terms of you know the meaning of his of his songs. You know, obviously, he was that great artist. I guess that could just just express something that that yeah yeah people. You know, people could relate to, particularly those who maybe you know, similar to himself, felt a little about in the on the social margins. Yeah, um,
1: but I think yeah. what we're saying more widely here, anyway, is 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 that if if people are too concerned about normality and they're not cultivating their own difference, then yep. we're not going to have too many creative people, uh, obviously. Um, yeah, so very So it is the desire to be special somewhat that drives a lot of creativity and obviously artists vary in how much they care about normality and also how much that um they the they embrace a sort of um um dissociating alienated specialness too um, well
0: yeah yeah that's yeah absolutely and Actually, that, that leads me on to something else I was, I was hoping we could discuss here, Alec. Yeah. You know, a quote that I wanted to, to, to bring in here by uh, Susie Orbach, who, who also contributes in the collection. Yeah. She, and, and this is really on the issue of, of modern society and how, you know, how we might be, shaped um, nowadays in terms of the issue of normality and specialness. She describes a tangle of despair that we're in now in which specialness has been democratised. Now what I was wondering was, is there something about the society we're in now that is particularly undermining our sense of being normal? Obviously this sense of, on the one hand, specialness being democratised there, you know this maybe this sense that we all feel an an especial degree of pressure in some ways to be more unique, to, to display more more overtly a sense of uniqueness or talent or whatever it may be. Um, is there something going wrong in, in society in this sense that really is affecting our, our sense of normality? And if so, is there anything really we, we can or should do about that?
1: Well, I mean, just off the top of my head, this goes back to something we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is mm-hmm. that if people feel less connected to each other, there will probably be more an attempt to stand out as a we have tried to... Uh, transcend that gulf so if people are more atomistic you could expect them to to try and embrace more the the so-called benefits of standing out to be special and we can see with things like tiktok and so on that people can do videos of themselves and put it on uh, the server and get thousands of views so it's really encouraging people to to stand out in a way, but the problem is if everybody's doing that, or a lot of people are doing it, then you aren't ultimately standing out, really. So it's a sort of um, pseudo fame that they have. I
0: mean, it re- it reminded me that yeah, that article and what you're describing there. You know, the the famous book by Christopher Lash, Culture of Narcissism, yeah. obviously, which was written prior to some of the you know the technological elements yeah. and so on that, that have now kind of combined with this. But I do wonder, yeah, whether there's there's we're, we've been heading in a kind of narcissistic direction as a society. You know, and 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 now. As you described, with with um, things like TikTok and so on, it's it's so quick and easy in a way to put self promoting material mm. out there, and and there's again there's maybe a sense of normality from doing that, almost a kind of social pressure yeah. to be putting that stuff out there. But of course, as you said, how, how can everybody be exceptional simultaneously? Of course, it's well, I think possible.
1: if you've got well, I think if you've got a situation where everybody is special in the same way, then it isn't really special. <laughs> yeah. And so this is the thing that people are doing those things, but so many are doing it that they're not really standing out. And I mean it's a good point you made regarding Christopher Lash, because he wrote that book, The Culture of Narcissism, in the nineteen seventies yeah. about American society. And his general point was that um as social ties, you know, became, you know, more and more fragmented. And political change was less of a a possibility that what people would do would be that they would turn to their own personal lives, their own inner lives, and that would, they would end up overvaluing them. Mm -hmm. So I suppose in the society that we're in, our personal world is actually our only world. And uh, so presenting that to the world um, is meant to be a kind of specialness really yeah i guess i guess there's a double bind there really isn't there because on the one hand we're
0: suffering from the lack of strong you know communities that, that lash was obviously you know talking about you know as having been eroded way you know way back seventies um, and earlier. So we have that on the one hand, but also this this private world that people have retreated into has now become a very public one. You know, so it's actually being scrutinised and judged very literally. You know, th- through social media, so people are feeling you know n- neither can rely on the the um, support from maybe strong communities, even strong family links around them, but at the same time feel ever more scrutinised on this this self-image that they're having to,
1: to create. Well um, yes, I think that's a good point, it's like the public and the private are somewhat erased with things like TikTok and there's actually a psychoanalyst and uh, English professor jo- Josh Cohen I think his name is and he's written a book about this idea that the more, the less of, of a private life we have, obviously the less rich our individuality is going to be. So one of the problems with social media, which really brings the public space into the private space, is that over time we don't really have that much val- of things of value to share. About ourselves, because really, it's all on display. If you make too much of yourself on display, you haven't really cultivated a substantial self. Um, you need a private, you need a private life, a, a degree of solitude for that. If if you're for, putting yeah. what's happening to you uh, up on social media on a constant basis, then you're not really getting enriched by that experience. Um, and, I mean, and so, yeah.
0: Yeah, right, sorry. I, I mean, it's diabolical, actually, because, you, I mean, you mentioned a second ago, you know, the idea that if, if everybody's having to be special and extraordinary, then in a sense, nobody is. But I mean, these these social media platforms, you know, there's a level of attention to things like appearance, activities that in the past you know really would be reserved for for celebrities you know it would be for people that that were you know but but of course if everybody's on camera in some sense then everybody is having to also presumably dedicate a lot of time and energy to the the creation of those images of themselves you know the and and all that goes with that and as you say the the narration of of a life that's been you know there's a pressure to try to make seem interesting unique but at the same time Keeping up with with the trends that seems rather exhausting and, and torturous and and yeah where where would the where would the space be as you said for for private growth quiet non interesting activities in terms of enacting them presenting them you know maybe reading a book thinking about things but but yeah it doesn't it doesn't fit too well in, unless I guess people are very careful about their you know. Uh, you know, avoiding the traps of of getting sucked into you know really overuse of social media. Um, you know there yes. is there is definitely, um, a, you know a th- a thorny thorny path there that people are having to walk. I guess.
1: Well, I think um, it is. I mean, it, it, things like TikTok. I mean, I I've never really looked at, it, but based on what I've I've heard, it, it's almost like doing an advert of yourself, is it, on a regular basis. So, it it yeah. sort of encourages you to see yourself. Um as some kind of gimmick, you know, doing some, some kind of eye-catching thing that gains attention, but there isn't re, you know, it doesn't mean to say that there's going to be much substance to it. I know this sounds awful elitist, but the thing is, if you're going to be special, I mean, this is me almost defining what the norms of being special. Maybe I should trade with some trepidation really here, but hmm. but but I would have thought that a specialness that counts in a good way would be one that was connected to some form of substance, you know, rather than, you know, some sort of gimmick or really. Well, I
0: mean, I suppose anybody of, of you know, exceptional talent, you know, say like a Serena Williams for example, you know, didn't become the superstar that she is, you know, through, you know, sitting you know, taking pictures of herself or trying to put out a sort of, you know, a personal PR feed, you know, mm. had to be done through hard, hard work and, yeah. you know, pursuing something that was a, of interest to her, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, we don't want, to, uh, as you say, we don't want to be too. Ne- it sounds like we're being terribly negative about social media. And, and of course that you know, people can use it in a, in a perfectly balanced way and avoid some of these dangers. But I don't, I don't think that detracts from the fact that, that there are real dangers here. Um, where you yeah. know people you know when you're putting material out on things like TikTok obviously you're not you know you're you're putting yourself out there that to be validated or not by predominantly strangers you know and and you know at best some acquaintances as well who you know so there's a real problem if if people really are you know deriving their their kind of sense of self esteem from you know their social media feeds in terms of how much they're getting validated or not because obviously that's a very precarious form of social uh, self-esteem, sorry, you know. Um, well, and, and, you it. know, and,
1: and I think that's a good point about Serena Williams, that if we're saying in general that uh, standing out in a constructive way usually involves a lot of hard work, yeah. whereas the social media promise of standing out without much hard work or doing something quite gimmicky, is it really going to, you know, it's hard to invoke the idea of specialness without also invoking the idea of being memorable in a good way. You know, or the best kind of specialness. So yep. if if people if thousands upon thousands of people are uploading short videos of themselves, that's not going to be special in a in the constructive sense because it's not really going to be that memorable and it doesn't involve hard work. You know, anybody could do it. That's why I think that's why, you know, it is problematic, the notion of democratising specialness, because, you know, I think by definition, it, it can't be completely democratised.
0: No, well, that, that's, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I guess what we get instead is a kind of, you know, very imitative simulation of, of pseudo. specialness, su- pseudo-specialness, you know, which, again, it's not clear who that's really good for. You know, it's not really good for people to spend a lot of their time, I guess, watching you know, videos, looking at, you know, other people's feeds where they're attempting to promote that. Because as as we've discussed in previous episodes, that people often, we're often, unfortunately, will be taken in by good presentation. You know, we'll think that those people really do have the wonderful lives that they're presenting or yeah. whatever it may be. So on the one hand, there's that, you know, there's the danger of that kind of sense of being undermined. And again, there's also, as you said, just the fact that how, how much is a person, cultivating their own unique strengths if they if they're you know obviously getting sucked into spending a lot of time producing this kind of very you know conformist material that's pseudo special right you know it's it's what other people are doing it's yes, it's the, yeah. the compulsion you know the sense of needing to join in and avoid being excluded from that activity, but but yeah, maybe um, maybe the price is really quite steep. Increasingly so in, uh, these days for for that kind of stuff, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, you know, we've all got this connection to the big other. We all want to it to smile and uh, take pleasure in what we're doing. So if you're making that short video and putting it on social media, it can give you that sense that the world is smiling on you. And that isn't yeah. entirely a bad thing. There could be some good feelings that come from that, but we can't, it would be wrong to overrate it. And it would be wrong to think that it was any substantial form of celebrity. <laughs>
0: So a final question a random question i thought um could be you know in the spirit of of deviance and you know not conforming to normality i was wondering i, I don't know is there anything you could share you can think of that you would say is as something that's not normal about yourself or that or something not normal that you happen to like or do um I don't know. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I wonder if anything came to mind.
1: <laughs> well, I I was thinking about this. It turns out very fortunately. Oh, well, um, I'm, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, I, I think, you know, for myself, uh, being at school and even uni, um, being someone that was very intellectually minded, that that was seen even at uni or Sometimes is not normal or not the you know how most people would want to be. I know it sounds a bit strange, but that's how things have become. Yeah. So I think at school you would be othered as this brainy person or this nerd or whatever. Not that I was ever called nerd or that, but you know that's mm-hmm. a common term, is it? A way of singling out people that are particularly bright but in a negative way. I can understand why kids do that, because many kids are at school and they're struggling and it's hard going for them, and so they they, they tend to hate people that are doing well at it. I think that's one oh. of the reasons why they're, they're so judgmental. I understand that now. I don't think it was so easy at the time, because I didn't see it that way. So, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, although this might sound a bit strange it's probably the degree of intellectual curiosity I have that is uh, not normal but I see yeah. that in a good way Even, yeah. but I think the thing is that at times it is an issue because um, you, you could be talking to someone about a shared interest and then your level of curiosity or what you've been thinking might go beyond you know what they've been thinking and so you can start to feel a bit odd Really, so even yeah. a strength can sometimes be a hard thing to 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 accept because of its its lack of uh, normality.
0: Yeah, I no, I think that's very that's nicely put. Yeah, and and it's true. I mean, it's I, I guess that um, ties in nicely with what we've been speaking about. You know, the idea would wouldn't it be a terrible shame for somebody to to feel that they were you know they were not normal because they were intellectually curious? Say, and then and then. Try to sort of stifle that part of them. That would be such a such a, an unfortunate thing, you know. Well, so it would be.
1: It would be going know. very much against our authentic self. It would be a form of living death, actually, to put it in an understated way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, I yeah. think that I think that's why it's it's so important uh, to embrace our strengths, even if it's at the risk of not feeling normal. Really, because yeah. we have to bear in mind that 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 strains you know if they're pronounced are not normal and so it's hard to completely embrace them because you're going to feel that uh you you could be singled out in a bad way at times um,
0: yeah well that's that's it yeah um so yeah for yourself i, I, I mean what, what yeah you it's say a good point here? i mean <laughs> it's funny actually because i hadn't i hadn't considered this question in advance you know so my, my first thoughts i was you know i was thinking of you know the the, the most uh, mundane alternative t- to what you were just describing was about the fact that you know i don't um i have a complete aversion to anything like ketchup to <laughs> mayonnaise brown sauce and all the very normal things that people like to put on their, their chips <laughs> and things but to, to maybe give a slightly less uh, mundane example i think for me um I've, i'm you know the way my mind works is that I seem to work through sort of cycles of special interest you know where I'll maybe have a topic that I'm extremely into you know like for example I've loved reading about different personality typing systems or yes. maybe I'll get into true crime or something like that and I'll have that kind of desire to really binge in it and then it'll kind of pass and I'll move on and these things kind of recur in cycles for me so um, I think you know I've, I've come at the the realization that's not necessarily a very normal way for people's minds to work you know they maybe have more kind a consistent interest as opposed to um, just kind of um, in this sort of strange hodgepodge way but um, yeah that's two ways, one mundane one less so that I would consider well, how, myself How do to you abnormal. feel
1: about the non-mundane example? How do I feel? Um, about it, you know obviously no, you're saying it's not normal to yeah, have intense but but you know changeable interests.
0: Yeah I, th- I mean I think that I feel okay about it. I think it's something that, you know, for me, it's yeah. quite important. You know, I think it's it feels like really valuable time. You know, to to be just you know giving yourself the time to yeah. explore a real passion. So I think it's important and it's right. I think it maybe maybe it does make me feel a little bit awkward in the way that you described. Maybe when you share an interest with somebody who doesn't doesn't share that and thinks it's odd to have the interest at all. You know, that can feel a little bit isolating at times. You know, maybe just um, yeah, having interest that you really yeah. um you know you can share with some people, but with many others they you know, they there wouldn't be much interest and they might think yeah. it was a little bit of an odd thing to be spending your time reading about. So, yeah, sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but I, I would agree with you. I think it's worth the discomfort to, to, to just, you know, yeah. to, but to kind think, of... Get, I, I think what sorry, we're yeah. both
1: saying is that it's hard not to think about these things without the threat of potential isolation or difference and this is what we were talking about earlier on we can't think about even positive difference um, yeah. without having to, to consider how it makes how it affects our standing uh, Indeed, in a yeah. group really it's almost impossible not to do that and that's yeah. why maybe or maybe not maybe I think that's why it requires courage to embrace your known normality
0: i think i think you're right yeah it does doesn't it? i mean there's no getting away from that you're you're never going to feel completely comfortable in all say social situations no. about whatever your individual passion is or aspect no. of yourself but yeah that doesn't mean that that that's that's a negative for you no. or it's something no. you should you know quite the opposite actually it's the yeah the the yeah i guess the having the courage to just ju- just be yourself really openly and as much you know, as you can be, be yeah really um, yeah yeah
1: so well thanks for that steven no.
0: th- thank you yeah that was i think that was really um interesting discussion there again with you so much very much appreciated and uh, yeah i think we've we've um you know kind of looked at normality from all angles there so I yes think we to, yeah yeah i don't know yeah.
1: how normal the conversation was but <laughs> well, i don't think we'll, we'll worry about that now I, um, I,
0: I don't think we can or don't think we should no absolutely no. yeah <laughs> okay oh,
1: well good night. okay thank, thank you. you cheers